Hey everybody, on today's episode of Trek in Time, we're going to talk about episode 11 of season 2, Precious Cargo. In this episode, the Enterprise answers an alien distress call, and then Commander Tucker is kidnapped and then escapes with a spoiled and beautiful alien princess. <laughs> and does any of that sound familiar to anybody else? Welcome to Trek in Time. We're watching all of Star Trek in chronological order, and we're watching it in the context of when the episodes were originally aired. And who are we? Well, I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a published author. I write some stuff for kids. I write some sci-fi for adults. With me is my brother, Matthew. He's the guru and inquisitor behind the YouTube channel, Undecided with Matt Farrell, which takes a look at emerging tech and its impact on our lives. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm holding on. This episode... <laughs> This episode took a little holding, but uh, <laughs> I think we'll be okay. Uh huh. So before we get into our damsel in distress story, which yeah. had a little bit less gripping action than a game of Mario Brothers, <laughs> which is also about rescuing a princess. Yeah. There were some comments on previous episodes. Matt, did you want to share those with us? Sure. There's just a couple comments that were more specific to us, not the show Star Trek. One was from Craig Steven a couple weeks ago on the episode Rogue Planet. He said, dude on the left would play a good Vulcan. And he's talking about you, Sean. And I thought you oh, might well, like that. I think you good. might like that because uh, Spock has always been your favorite character. <laughs> I, I modeled myself after Spock when I was a, a young lad because well, I just... Well, appreciated his ability to keep himself contained. I remember as a kid, you were so proud when you mastered the raising the one eyebrow. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which took sitting in front of our mother's makeup mirror and holding the other eyebrow down and figuring out how, <laughs> how to, to trigger the muscle memory. So <laughs> to this day, I'm very proud of that. The other comment was from uh, Robotrav. The editing of this show is really improving. I mean, not that it was bad before or anything, just saying that I appreciate the direction it's going. So, I mean, he, he, I, I responded to him in the comments, but thank you so much, Trav. Uh, it's, we are putting a little more effort into the edits. If you watch us on YouTube, a little more visual flair to our editing, <laughs> showing some B-roll sometimes when we're yeah. talking. So we're trying to kind of step up our YouTube game a little bit. So glad you're enjoying it. Yeah. If somebody in the future makes a podcast rewatching every episode of this podcast, I don't recommend doing that. No. But if they did, there would definitely be a stage early days where they would be like, why are these episodes an hour plus and why is it just a blank screen? Yeah. So <laughs> we've happily moved past those early days. Yeah. And we've moved on to today's episode. That's right. It's Precious Cargo. Matt, do you care to read? I already shared a little bit of it. The Wikipedia description for this episode. Sure. Buckle up, everybody. Yeah, I was going to strap yourself in. This is a winner. Precious Cargo is the 37th episode, production number 211 of the American science fiction television series Star Trek Enterprise, airing on the UPN network. It is the 11th episode of the series' second season. Set in the 22nd century, the series follows the adventures of the first Starfleet starship Enterprise registration NX-01. In this episode, the Enterprise answers an alien distress call and Commander Tucker, Connor Trenier, is kidnapped and then escapes with a spoiled and beautiful alien princess, Kaitama. Was it Padma Lakshmi? That's one heck of a description where half of that is just, this is a TV show. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Half thanks of that, for that is a TV show and the other half is a run on sentence. So yep. thank you, Wikipedia. 
<laughs> this episode was directed by David Livingston. We've seen him a couple of times already. We've seen him with Shuttlepod 1, and we saw him in this season with the 7th. And I have a lot of positive things to say about David Livingston's direction. Spoiler, I'm not crazy about this episode. I'm not surprised. Further spoiler, not a lot of people are. Mm -hmm. But I came away from it thinking good direction, good set building, good environment on the closing planet's surface. Mm -hmm. The production around the action, I think, is top notch. So yeah. Yeah. I, I give a lot of credit to David Livingston and the other people involved in production of this episode. This episode was written by Rick Berman and Brandon Braga, but the teleplay was by David Goodman. And I think David Goodman has a fascinating background. So I'd like to share a bit of that. He started off his television writing career writing for Golden Girls and eventually would go on to write Futurama. He was responsible for writing the episode of Futurama where no fan has gone before, which was the Futurama episode that incorporated all the still living members of the original crew mm -hmm. of Star Trek. So it is a top-notch episode. He was given responsibility for writing that when he basically argued that he was the most dedicated Star Trek fan on the Futurama writing team. <laughs> and he was able to correctly identify every episode number and name mentioned in dialogue. So Whoa. he has that level of knowledge. He would go on from Futurama. He would work on some Seth MacFarlane shows like American Dad. He's written and produced for the Orville. Mm -hmm. And he's written Star Trek books. So he's written Star Trek novels, which are the autobiographies of various characters, which include the autobiography of James T. Kirk and the autobiography of Jean-Luc Picard. These are ostensibly first-person tellings of their lives. So they incorporate effectively all of the stories that we've seen in the series or the movies. And he then takes those and he's incorporated those into novelizations. That's of, crazy. Which I think is, I think that's just fascinating. So Pretty impressive history for David Goodman. And he is now, he's been elected president of the Writers Guild West Coast. And he is now out there advocating for the rights of writers, including television and movie writers. And they're going through a number of flaming hoops at the moment. And he's leading that organization through it as writers are dealing with the new marketplace, what it looks like with streaming mm -hmm. services and making sure that writers are protected as things effectively no longer have a shelf life the way they used to. Nope. And making sure that writers are able to be protected and, and make a living off of their work. So this was David Goodman's first episode after joining the writing team for the series Enterprise. And another spoiler, he feels like his first uh, screenplay for this episode was pretty much a failure. Uh-huh. Uh -huh. And he didn't blame anybody for the work on camera or the, the weaknesses of the episode. He didn't blame anybody but his own screenplay. So, wow. Precious Cargo aired on December 11th, 2002, and it was viewed by 4.6 million viewers. So it was up from the previous episode that we talked about, which was the pre-Thanksgiving Day episode centered yep. on Hoshi as she had a transporter malfunction. We talked about how that episode was underviewed largely because of the holiday, probably. But 4.6 million viewers for this episode, 
puts it near the bottom of viewership for this season. So mm-hmm. the series continues to struggle as a demonstration of those struggles. Some of the shows that were beating it, 11 million viewers tuned into My Wife and Kids, 60 Minutes 2, Electric Boogaloo, <laughs> got 10 million viewers. The Bernie Mac show had 8 million. Ed had 10, but Star Trek Enterprise was still able to beat Candid Camera, which had 0.9 million viewers, and Dawson's Creek, which only had four. For the week, though, CSI continued to be the top show. It's been a battle between Everybody Loves Raymond and CSI, sometimes ER. CSI this week with 25 million viewers. The top movie continued to be Die Another Day, which has traded places now with the second Harry Potter movie. They've Harry Potter came out, was replaced by Die Another Day. And then in the interim week where there was no episode that we would have been seven days before this, Harry Potter took over the number one spot again. Mm-hmm. And then this week, Die Another Day took it back. The number one song remained Lose Yourself by Eminem, and that song will remain the number one song for the rest of the year 2002. So his presence as a major artist and his movie, which did hit number one several weeks earlier, it wouldn't return to the number one in the box office. Viewership for that film really did drop off after its initial big push of its audience. But this song has remained arguably one of his biggest hits that even to this day, people are easily reminded of it when it comes on the radio. And in the news on this day, December 11th, 2002, some of the headlines in the New York Times, Jimmy Carter accepted the Nobel Peace Prize. And in his acceptance speech, he made a motion for Iraq to do a better job with demonstrating that it does not have weapons of mass destruction. So there was a lot of There was a cloud of question marks, I think is the best way to describe it around Iraq, what they had, what they didn't have. Inevitably, we all know what happens. The US and allies go into Iraq and they're never able to find any weapons of mass destruction, which is ultimately what smaller voices were arguing prior to US invasion. Also in the news, the Joint Congressional Committee investigating the September 11th terrorist attacks voted today to approve a final report calling for the creation of a director of national intelligence. This would be a cabinet level position that would narrow the authority of the head of the CIA, congressional officials, the Senate panel, the Senate and House panel adopted the report, which will be released on Wednesday in a voice vote during an extended closing door, closed door meeting. The report endorses the new intelligence position to coordinate the sprawling United States intelligence community, giving it broad authority over all military and civilian intelligence agencies and leaving the director of central intelligence subordinate. So major change in the U.S. government. We had a different headline earlier this season in which the creation of the Department of Homeland Security had taken place. So these major shifts continue to be the shape of the U.S. government to the state. So on to precious cargo. In what may have been, I'm not inside the head of the writers or the people making this episode, Interesting, they decided to date this September 12th, 2152. Mm-hmm. Maybe in a strange tip of the hat to September 11th. I'm not sure, but it's a date that just kind of stands out for the fact that it's not September 11th while being as close to September 11th as you can get. Yep. So it kind of was like a flashing red light when the date is first given in the episode. But we've already mentioned what this episode is about. We're going to 
see some aliens show up. We're going to see Trip get kidnapped and we're going to see a princess in distress. Yes. Big picture. I've already told people what I felt about this episode. Matt, where do you land on this one? Let me put it to you this way. I just watched this a couple nights ago and the episode ended. I sat there in silence for a couple minutes thinking, how do I feel about this episode? (laughs) And I couldn't make a decision. I just sat there going, like my brain had shut off. It's like I didn't think it was good and I did not think it was bad. I thought it was completely forgettable and just a do nothing episode. It's like the acting was fine, except Mm -hmm. for the princess. I did not like her acting, especially for the first half. Mm hmm. Did not like the chemistry between her and Trip. There was supposed to be, you know, like this budding romance, and it felt like they had zero chemistry together. <laughs> Spoiler: When they end up making out and making whoopee, I was kind of like, "Really?" It's like it just yeah. kind of came out of nowhere. Suddenly, it was like there was no chemistry there for this. But at the end, it was kind of like it was fine. It was fine. It it was fine. <laughs> I would never watch this again. I would only watch I would only watch this because we had to watch this. Right. But if you told me, okay, you could pick your five episodes of this episode of uh, Enterprise that you want to watch, this would not even be close to the list. But I wouldn't be avoiding it because it's awful. I would just want it's just it's a nothing episode. There are two stories at work in this. There's very clearly the A story, which revolves around Trip and his attempts to survive with the princess. Mm-hmm. And then there's the play acting that takes place on the Enterprise <laughs> around mm-hmm. their having captured one of the aliens that attempted to kidnap Trip. I wouldn't even argue that it's an A plot and a B plot. It's like there's an A plot, which is the princess storyline. And then there's this deep sucking vacuum where a B plot could have been. Uh-huh. And then this is almost like a C plot. It's very few scenes. It's very thin. It's almost played more for comedic relief, which yeah. is interesting considering that the A plot is not serious. So no. this entire episode has this comedic vein to it. I wonder if that's a part of the writer having come so from so deeply in the comedic writing world. Yes. So we have an A plot and then a much, much, much weaker secondary plot. And I wish it had been flipped because this play acting that's going on between Archer and T'Pol to try and coerce information out of their captured member of the two-person crew, it's you have Plin and you have Goff. And Plin claims, I am practically not even a part of any coordinated plot by this guy. Goff is completely in charge. I know nothing. I can't help you at all. And, and the way this all unfolded initially was the Enterprise responds to a distress call and Goff and Plin are claiming we've got this, we've got a thing that needs to be kept in cryo. We've got an individual who's in cryo. They need to stay in cryo during our journey. And the cryo system is breaking down. And so we need your help. And Tucker is happy to to go take a look at it however while he's working on it the cryo chamber opens up and the woman inside katama who is the damsel in distress literally freaks out and then goff knocks trip unconscious there is then a fight and plin who was aboard the enterprise can't make it back to the ship so goff 
abandons him, leaves, taking trip with him. And now the Enterprise has Goff or, or Plim. That Can I just make a note of that one sequence in the show where he's trying to get back to the ship to, to escape because he's been radioed. They were having lunch with the captain and he gets called away. That entire sequence, I, I love that sequence mm-hmm. because it's one of those times in the show where we see the Enterprise crew acting as like a super well-oiled machine. And I love the whole sequence of he leaves the mess, the dining room with the captain and the captain immediately radios Reed and says, yeah. you know, like he says something. Something's and the very next, on. The very next shot is the guy walking in the hallway really fast and out from a, a, a secondary hallway, Reed and a security officer just whoop and flank yeah. him and on either side just walking right with him go, we've been ordered to help you get to the, you know, to, to your ship. And it was just like, all right, here's the crew like working like a well-oiled machine and like they're not going to get away with this crap. They still got away with that crap. But it was very kind of cool to see. It's almost like you can almost see Reed looking proud because it's probably all of those things we've seen in previous episodes where he's been like harping on the captain. You know, we got to get stuff in order. We need to be more have tight knit and procedures. It feels like these are some of the procedures in action and you can see them working really well. And I thought that was a really nice sequence. I would even pick up on that thread and say that when they then are, they lay in for pursuit. Yes. And Archer, they are right behind the ship, which can fly <laughs> less than half as fast as they can. In fact, the way, if memory serves correctly, there's something about warp speed where it's a little bit like the Richter scale. It's exponential. It's not a mm-hmm. flat line of increased speed. Two is not twice as much as one. Warp two is 10 times as much as one. So it's mm-hmm. like a Richter scale. That's why getting from warp eight to warp nine is seen as being so incredibly dangerous as opposed to going from warp three to warp four. Mm-hmm. So this ship is able to go, the Retalion vessel is able to go warp 2.2. The Enterprise, this is a case where the tables finally seem to have been turned for the enterprise. (laughs) So much of the series up to this point has been the enterprise going into situations where they are outgunned and outmatched by pretty much anybody they bump into. This is a case where they've run into somebody who now they are easily the big dog. Yeah. They can keep pace with this other ship without difficulty. And almost with a shrug of his shoulders, Archer looks at Reed and says phase cannons. Mm-hmm. And Reed, as he's targeting the warp nacelle of this Retellian vessel, has a little smirk. Smirk. Yeah, he's he has smirking smirk. as he's laying it, and he's just like, oh, buddy boy, you don't know what you did. Yeah. And beep, 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 boop. Yeah. And they- <laughs> He's gone. They f- use the phasers. They knock the ship out of warp, but it's all part of a ruse because here in what I thought was actually a very nice twist, the Retellian- commander is more experienced than they are he's nefarious so he's doing stuff that they're not accustomed to so he drops a bunch of dilithium shards into crystals or some yeah and so it gets into the intake manifolds of the of the enterprise it's a lot of techno babble that means nothing but the end result is he drops something in front of them that they go through that then keeps them from being able to go back to warp I loved it. I thought it was great. It was a very pirate-like move, and that's ultimately who Goff and Plin are supposed to be. They're supposed to be kidnappers. They have kidnapped somebody, and they're holding them ransom, which then raises a bunch of issues. As nice as those early scenes are, 
it raises so many question marks of they kidnap somebody with the intention of ransoming them off. Mm -hmm. They then are having trouble with their cryo chamber. I think they say something along the lines of we have limited supplies. So if this person wakes up, we won't be able to actually make it to our destination. That could be just an excuse. It could be just a lie. It could be an excuse. You've kidnapped somebody. Do you then broadcast an open SOS looking for help? Yep. Do you ask for help from aliens that you've never experienced before and then socialize with them while having one of those aliens that you've never met Mm -hmm. work on the cryo chamber? On the what happens if on the off chance, like happens in this episode, the cryo chamber opens up and this person on this crew, like there was no plan around keeping any secrets. It was very Abbott and Costello. I had a lot of difficulty with that. Like, why would they have brought the Enterprise and socialized as much as they did aboard the Enterprise in the way they did? They show they're good. They show they're good at various motives to of a larger kind. It just didn't yep. make any sense. They show that they're good at the getaway, like doing these, like, you know, we can get away from anybody, the whole like releasing the gas, but yet they can't make a good logical decision of maybe we should go to that back alley planet that has spare parts that we could go to, to fix this stupid thing yeah. instead of just talking to some random alien we've never met. It, it, yeah. it didn't make too much sense. I forgave it a little bit, but kind of leading into the whole where the plot goes from this point, when we're on the ship that's getting away and you've got Trip and this princess on board, we see one interaction, one scene with them and this kidnapper where he comes in and threatens them with a gun and then disappears. And we never see them together like that on the ship again. Mm-hmm. And because of that, he never feels too threatening. He no. never feels like he's truly in command of the situation. And we never have a real sense of stakes that Trip and this princess are truly in danger. Yeah. We never really get that sense. It's like he should have beaten Trip to a, a pulp or something. He should have done something to Trip because Trip is expendable, where the princess is not. Right. And if they had set something up where Trip has to get out of here or his he's he could get killed, it's like it makes the stakes higher. And that he never even existed. says he even says, what makes you think that I'll be kept alive after I complete the work I'm supposed to do? Right. But there's been nothing to indicate no threat. that he would have that kind of worry yep. other than logic. And it feels like most of the plot points are plot points of convenience. Oh, I mm-hmm. want to get to point nine therefore plot point eight seven six and five have to happen for me to get to nine Mm -hmm. so again we have the the captain of this retellian ship showing pirate brilliance gets hit by a phaser his ship is not actually critically damaged he drops out of warp he pretends that he's damaged he releases the cloud he gets away and yet when it comes to keeping an eye on his two prisoners he does effectively have free run of the cargo hold that they're in they're wandering around that cargo hold with no problem Mm -hmm. he never checks in on them and they are able to without any difficulty open up a panel destabilize the internal sensors go through tubes on the interior of the ship until they can get to an escape pod launch the escape pod well before he's even aware that they're missing and trip's entire thing is because i've done this to their sensors will be a million miles away before he even knows we're gone. And I'm like, 
this is a pirate who had the tenacity to be able to, as one person, trick the Enterprise yeah. into being able to get away. And yet somehow Trip is able to do all this stuff to the interior of a ship so that they can get away without any kind of conflict or need for that actor even to show up. Can I just say, we typically fall into this trap, which I'm about to go into right now. Rewriting the episode. Yes. I don't, I don't know why. Okay, you have Trip, who's this amazing engineer. Why would... The ship's basically on autopilot. He doesn't need to be in a separate part of the ship, the, the, ca- the kidnapper. He mm-hmm. could have stayed in the room with them, tied the woman up, being forcing, forcing Trip to do stuff at gunpoint. Trip is having to start in repairs, and he finds a clever way to kind of maybe overload a circuit that deliberately knocks something out the cat that this kidnapper has to go back to a different part of the ship to fix. Right. So he, he deliberately does something to make the guy leave. When the guy leaves, he quickly does something and basically locks the door. He like maybe breaks a circuit so the door is jammed. Right. And then he goes and starts to escape and tries to get them out of there. That would have made far more sense and shown Trip in more of a like thinking quick on his feet and being this amazing engineer that he's supposed to be to get him out self out of there. Mm-hmm. Where <laughs> the way it was currently written, no stakes. I keep coming back to the fact that there was no stakes. I never yeah. once felt they were in danger. So I didn't care about what was going on. I'll even go, I'll go one step beyond that as we put on our rewriting hats. Mm-hmm. We've seen this now in a number of TV series recently. I'm thinking primarily of Foundation. What if, as you laid out, Trip is working on repairs and he's slow walking it so that he's trying to like keep an eye on the princess and he's trying to build a rapport with her so that she trusts him. He's trying to keep the captain who's standing behind him with his phase pistol at his back. He figures out a way to send a feedback through the ship, as you suggested, so that it blows the autopilot and they drop out of warp. And the captain Mm -hmm. is just like, what the heck is going on? And locks them into the cargo hold and then leaves and says, I will be back. And in those moments, then Trip says, Princess, do you realize that the cryo chamber you were in is in fact intended to be a cryo escape pod? to keep the person asleep while also able to escape. If we can both get into this thing, Mm -hmm. we could set up the cargo bay door to open up. We'll be ejected into space and then we should be able to use this. It has rudimentary navigation so that we can be able to get to a planet. And then they both get into what is her cryopod, which ultimately much of the episode between the two of them is supposed to be in the confinement of an escape pod. So mm-hmm. putting them into a small one person, what is supposed to be a one person cryopod could have provided just as much of an opportunity for that. Plus added the humor of it would have been literally a single occupant bed. Yeah. So then you could have had the two of them really having to be in tight confines as they're trying to figure out like, I need you to reach behind you and pull open that panel because I think that's where the supplies are. And the two of them could have been very uncomfortable, very awkwardly pushed together, literally physically inside a one seater cryopod that they could have then set up a timer. The captain's coming back to the cargo bay. The bay door opens up. All the objects in there get sucked out into space, including them in the pod. They find their way to the planet while being chased by the captain. So like all of that would have been saved time in the episode because then we wouldn't have had them in the tubes walking through the interior of the ship trying to get to the shuttle pod 
right. would have avoided the questions of like, like all of the, how is he able to destabilize the interior sensors? Like none of that was necessary for any of this. And mm -hmm. it would have given more time for them to actually would have been nice if a trip had any kind of character development through this. He goes yeah. through nothing other than I don't like this woman because she's annoying to I think I'd like to have sex with this woman because she's hot <laughs> and she doesn't have she has some character development, but it's a little unnecessary bit. because she's not a main character of the series and her character development is ultimately so quick and so thin as to be offended that he's not treating her like royalty to at the end saying, why don't you drop by the palace sometime and maybe we can hook up. And that's not much character development. It kind of ties back to what you said in the beginning. It's like, I didn't know the writer's history before doing the show. And it makes so much sense. It does feel like a comedic writer yeah. writing his first Star Trek episode because there's not a whole lot of action. The character development is very thin, but there are very good moments of levity through the entire episode. So it's like, it felt very light. And that's part of the reason why I think at the end, I walked away from the episode kind of like shoulder shrug. I don't really know how I feel about this. It wasn't yeah. great. It wasn't bad. It was just kind of like, a, mm, whatever, nothing burger. Yeah. So I just kind of like, it's very bland. Yeah. Would be the best, best way to describe it. Meanwhile, back in the very thin secondary plot. Yeah. That we, I hinted that I actually liked and would have appreciated more of. Yep. It revolves around them taking their prisoner, Plin, and Archer basically convincing him in a moment that is reminiscent of other times in Star Trek where the commander presenting somebody else aboard the crew as if they are in fact in charge. It's an mm -hmm. old trope. We've seen it before. Much of this episode we've seen before. I feel like much of Trip and the princess's dynamic was literally them saying like, what if we had a Han Solo and Princess Leia mm -hmm. who had to fall in love in an episode? Her offense, his kind of casual swagger, winning her over with his natural charm, her letting her guard down, that all seems very Han and Leia. Meanwhile, Archer, in talking with Plin, sets up what is supposed to look like an extremely draconian tribunal. They've emptied the, the mess, mess hall, hall of all <laughs> tables. There's a single spotlight on a chair. They have him come in and sit down. And Archer begins to basically say, in a good cop, bad cop routine, I'm really sorry for you that you're now going to be under the tribunal's direction. We've gotten word from the Vulcan High Command that T'Pol is going to be given the right to place judgment upon you. And then basically lays out a whole sequence of how draconian the Vulcans can be, including, and I loved it, him saying, yeah. we started this mission yeah. with 86 people aboard. We're down to 79 and yeah. <laughs> in walks to Paul. And we've had this discussion before to Paul started the series with Vulcans do not lie. Well, she never, she actually, she never lies. And in this in episode, scene. she continues to dance that razor yep. blade line of she responds to Archer's comments, but she never fully says, I am the tribunal judge and I will be able to judge you guilty and sentence you to death. Well, she does not say that in those <laughs> words. She just refers to her roles, her responsibilities in very vague terms and lets Archer spin out this tale. And it's done again. <laughs> it has a comedic feel to it. But whereas the A storyline feels like, okay, there's not enough meat on this bone. 
Yeah. This felt like it was, there was a lot more potential for this kind of dynamic. And we know from the original series, there are episodes of the original series where they go full blown into comedy and really like hit a lot of comedic moments in, in great ways. So comedy is a part of Star Trek. I think that there is definitely room for a funny episode. And I will say that the tone of this episode, I did feel like it was refreshing. I felt yes. like, like, oh, this is an episode where I'm like, I'm, I'm really kind of like breathing. So I felt like you, a kind of mixed moment of like, there's really nothing to this episode, but it's not, it's not a dumpster fire. Yeah. It's light and there's levity. And th- th- the scene that you're highlighting was one of my favorite scenes in the episode, this good cop, bad cop routine. I love that she never lies. And when she starts asking him questions, it's just factual questions. How tall are you? How much do you weigh? And she's asking these questions that are going to deliberately make him start to panic of like, why, w- why would you want to know how tall I am yeah. in my weight? So it's like, never lies, just a lot of obfuscation about to what's going on, which I thought was a very clever way for her to dance through the scene without actually mm-hmm. lying to anybody. And to tie into this whole sequence, another moment I liked was a little earlier when they were trying to get information out of this guy and he was not helping. And the captain just gets frustrated and says, put him in like deck two's airlock yeah. um, and we'll leave the outer hatch unlocked. You know the way out in case you want to leave. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I thought that was an amazing, like just frustration. Just Of course, they're never going to hurt him. But it's I, it was the first moment where you see the captain leaning into the fact, this alien knows nothing about us and we can actually use that yeah. as leverage. And so that was the first moment where you saw the captain was willing to dance this line of playing the role of something that we're not just to scare him a little bit. And then the right. escalation of that to the mess hall scene, it was like, I liked to see that. And I wish they had done more with that because it was far more interesting and entertaining to me than Trip and the princess crammed together in that escape pod. Them being in the escape pod, I think was my favorite part of their time together because once really? they get to the planet, yeah, once they get to the planet, I think the planet was extremely well rendered. I thought that the stuff mm-hmm. on the planet was like, I loved the approach to the planet, their ability to, it, it felt very sci-fi of like, we're coming to this planet. It doesn't even look like it has any land. Where are we going to go? Oh, there's a small chain of islands. We can go there. We don't know what the life will be like there. We might not be able to find clean water. It's, it's going to be. It's going to be rough. They get there. It is rough. It's very swampy. They, the landing sequence I thought was a very compelling kind of panicky, like we're coming in really fast and he's, he's very competent throughout that entire thing, but he's like, we lost one of our stabilizers. I think the other one will still be able to do the job. I think that was the breaking thrusters firing. Yeah. And they're coming in at numbers that sound very fast. Yes. We're at 3000. I think it's meters. We're at 2000. We're at 1000. It's like, good God, how fast are they going? Yeah. They end up landing. But then once they're on that planet, it is what's the Harrison Ford movie where he gets trapped on a jungle island with Mosquito Coast? Van Hesch. No, it's it's like seven days or something like that. It's about okay. it's a comedy. And it's like we've seen this before. We've seen. The two people, you know, Abbott and Costello, and one of them will be, you know, trapped with a beautiful woman on a, in a jungle. And then by the time they're found, they've built a little hut out of spit and mucus. And like, <laughs> like, like there's nothing there on the planet that keeps you guessing as to what's going to happen. At no point do you wonder. I wonder if they'll learn to like each other from the very first moment that they have a conversation. You're like, it's moments 
I'm moments away from them, them having sex yes. is how it feels. Yes. And, and when they do, it's not compelling. Nope. Their chemistry was non-existent, I feel. So that as it happens and then it cuts to what might be post-coitus, they're just lying next to each other, next to their All they needed was cigarettes. Yeah, they just needed cigarettes, (laughs) but they're lying there in, he's lying there in his underwear. And I'm like, I'm sorry, you're on an alien planet. You're in an alien jungle. You would cover up your skin. You like, it's fine. You had, you know, you had whatever you had, put your pants back on. But also at this point, she is now in a slip, a silk looking slip and her hair went from being pulled back to like the most (laughs) wiry, just like huge hair that you've ever seen. It was like, what? What just happened over the past, yeah. what I'm assuming is five minutes. Yeah. It's like, there's, there's yeah. no, there's no way this makes any sense. She looks like Roseanne, Rosanna, Dana by yes. the end. <laughs> and he's practically smoking a cigarette and they then, again, you, no surprises. There's a tracking device. There's a tracking beacon on the escape pod. They hear it going off. They know that they're being chased now by their captor. So when the captor shows up, they have set up a pumpkin where did that pumpkin come from? Yeah. A pumpkin sort of scarecrow dummy so that he will attack that and then Trip is able to attack him. The two of them are able to overcome their captor. I did the one thing, again, comedic value in this episode is there. The fight between Trip and the alien revolves around Trip getting in at least 10 really solid hits. Yeah. And this guy just laughs it off. It's Klingon like his response to this fist fight so that when trip is taken down and it takes her sneaking up behind with a log to hit the guy in the head like that fine like okay that's how that that episode ends and then here come archer and to paul and they find trip wah wah in his underwear mm-hmm. it's just there's not a lot of superb payoff to any of that and then nope. we get the closing scene of her saying to him once i'm in power maybe I can start changing some of the things that are in place. But the main thing that she seems interested in changing is not like the rights of my people are being squashed. It's as queen, I won't be able to hook up, but I'm going to change that. So drop by sometime after I'm queen and then you and I can get together again. It is not a compelling message at the end. She she basically is going, you up? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at the end of the episode. His communicator beeps and he just looks at it and you up. writes back, new communicator, who this? <laughs> so in the long run, this episode has been reviewed a number of different times by a number of different sources, including Star Trek Magazine, the 50th anniversary Star Trek convention. It consistently gets ranked at or near the bottom of episodes of the Star Trek universe. But my favorite review was this one which is from John Billingsley, who said it is his least favorite episode, saying, quote, it just didn't come together, close quote. Yeah. I love that review because I don't recall flocks appearing in this episode. No. And I also like that Brandon Braga, like you have the note in here, it says he considered it one of the worst episodes of Star Trek. Yes. Not just this, but of Enterprise, but of, yes. of Star Trek. I don't think well, I put it, I don't think I'd put it that low. Like I said, it's inoffensive. It's just a nothing murder. Yeah, I think I think that that's my take on it, too, is it just feels like it's a D episode, but it's not an F. It right. is it is if there's nothing else on television and you really wanted to watch Star Trek and this was on, you'd be like, eh, I'll sit through it. Yeah. But if there was a different episode of Star Trek on another channel, you're going to switch the channel. Absolutely. So, 
but we're wondering how did everybody else feel about this one? It was a little bit of a hard slog for us, but did you all agree or did you all find that there was something here for you to hang your hat on? Let us know. Next time, we're going to be talking about the episode, The Catwalk. Matt, do you have any predictions about what The Catwalk is going to be about? Maybe Trip is on a fashion show and he's showing off his, his strut. I think somebody's too sexy for their phasers. Yes, exactly. Too sexy for their phasers. <laughs> Don't forget, there are ways you can support the show. You can review us on Apple or Google or Spotify. There's also ways you can support through donation. You can go to trekintime.show and you can throw some coins at us that way. And Matt, before we sign off, is there anything you want to remind our listeners about? Just to check out my main YouTube channel, Undecided with Matt Farrell, where I talk about sustainable technologies and how they're impacting our lives. Got a lot of good episodes coming up. As for me, you can go to seanfarrell.com and there you'll see some information about my books. As I said before, I've got books for adults and for kids. They're available at bookstores everywhere, including Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or your local bookstore, or your public library. Whatever way you're interested in checking them out, I do appreciate your interest. If you'd like to support the show, please consider reviewing on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And if you'd like to directly support us, I think I've said all this before, you can click on trekintime.show. There's a become a supporter button there. All of that really does help support the show. And thank you so much for listening or watching here on YouTube. We'll see you in the next one.